calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. My name is Aram, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm the producer of the Dungeon & Dragons podcast, God's Fall. My name's Dylan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome to Kill Every Monster. This episode, we are featuring the Shambling Mound. Shambling mounds are described in the Monster Manual as creatures that are sometimes called shamblers, trudging ponderously through bleak swamps, dismal marshes, and rainforests, consuming any organic matter in their path. These rotting heaps of animated vegetation loom up half again as tall as a human, tapering into a faceless head at the top. We are joined by Frankie Larson. Frankie, whose pronouns are they, she, is a writer, florist, podcaster, and plant-obsessed TTRPG gamer of over 13 years. You can find them frequently yelling about lawns on Twitter at Human Houseplant or on their plant podcast, Propagated Podcast. Welcome to the show, Frankie. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. I get to talk about plants and Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, a dream come true. (laughs) (laughs) So Frankie... What's a shambling mound? Do you, are you familiar with kudzu, the plant kudzu? Roughly. It grows and grows and can't be killed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So kudzu is an introduced species. It's invasive in the U.S. And when I think of a shambling mound, this is the plant I think of. Kudzu was introduced by the Soil Erosion Service and the Civilian Conservation Corps in 1930. And between 1930 and 1940, they introduced over 1 million acres of kudzu. Like, kudzu is this wild plant. It can grow up to a foot a day. What? Literally, sometimes in the summer, you can hear it growing. It is so wild. How big is the root system to this fucking thing? The, How the, ta- pull- the tap roots can be as thick as a person. It's incredible. It's such a crazy plant. How can you hear a plant growing? It, like, groans and stretches. It's growing a and, foot yeah, around. A foot a day. Wow. Yeah. And so, like, it wasn't really an issue when they introduced it because they mostly introduced it for soil erosion. The kudzu vine, for example, had grown quietly in its native East Asia eaten by various insects and dying off during the cold winters. 
but its fortunes changed when it was imported into the southeastern United States for porch decoration and cattle feed. Its planting was even subsidized by the government to fight soil erosion. With sunny fields, a mild climate, and no natural predators in its new home, the vine grew uncontrollably until it became known as the plant that ate the South. And like back then, farmers really took care of their land and people who lived there took care of it and would, and it's all edible except for the vine itself. The leaves are edible, the tap roots are edible, the flowers are edible, all that stuff. So people were eating it constantly, which by the way, eat your invasives. But now like no one takes care of their land anymore so much. They just throw some turf grass, which is also invasive down. And that's not really, you know, anyways, so Kudzu kind of took over the South and you can see it, especially now, like in July, as we're recording this, it's just covering the roadsides, like telephone poles, trees. It's so heavy and it grows so fast that it can literally pull trees to the ground. I also have a science thing that the Shambling Mound reminds me of, Mm -hmm. and that's cancer. Because specifically, it brings up that, like, when the thing gets formed, the roots and everything start constricting, and it essentially just macerates whatever its initial roots are wrapped around, and it kills it. But as it grows, it initially grows stationary, and then it crushes these things up until it creates sort of a soil in its center, and then it grows in its own soil. Like it creates dirt in its core, and then that dirt is the thing that the actual walking plant is growing out of. If you get a large enough tumor, getting veins, getting blood flow into the middle of it becomes borderline impossible. It actually dies in the middle necrotized flesh in the middle and the outer layer of the tumor where it's growing is still alive and when you do radiation therapy the reason it shrinks is because it kills all of it and then it turns out it's not entirely necrotized some of it's like half dead science is complicated but basically like when i read that description of the shambling mound the only thing screaming in my head is that is a plant tumor does it make any sense for it always to be the same thing. Wouldn't a shambling mound change depending on where it was formed? Yes, absolutely. Like I was thinking about this earlier today. I was like, okay, so we have twig blights, we have vine blights, we have, what's the other one? We have um, needle blights, but we only have one kind of shambling mound. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Also, I feel like I would separate them I, like, I would make all kinds of shambling mounds. I'm going to in my campaign. I just started my first campaign as a DM, and I'm very excited about it. Thank you so much. Um, basically, my campaign boils down to very simplified robots versus plants. <laughs> Sold. It's always a good baseline. But so I think my shambling mounds are going to be a whole bunch of different sizes, different abilities, and different plants. And I feel like if I'm going to have quote-unquote evil ones, those are going to be the invasives, and, like, the good ones will be, like, the native ones that take over when soil is disturbed, like poison ivy or Virginia creeper, that sort of thing. There's one thing that I want to harp on a little bit in the Shambling Mound, which is their cause. Shambling Mounds have both the aesthetic and the sort of backstory of nuclear waste. Like, they're just sitting there, and then a magic lightning bolt hits it and wakes it up, and it starts walking around. It's very Frankenstein-y. Or it's like, 
they reference fey magic being the cause of shambling mounds, which doesn't really align with what a shambling mound is or what it does or what any of the fey seem to do, but sure. But at the end of the day, it very much has that feeling of like the monster climbing out of you know, the swamp because something went horribly wrong. You know, it doesn't feel quite natural. Your swamp thing, your toxic Avenger, that kind of thing. To make the cause of it lightning is a fucking weird move. It's not, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how after a lightning storm, plants are more green than usual? Like sometimes they even get this limey green quality to them. I assumed that was the rain. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so basically the combo of like lightning and rain, there's always nitrogen in the air and it like produces all this nitrogen, but the lightning and the rain get it into the ground where the plants can actually absorb it. So these plants get every lightning storm a boost of nitrogen that brings them back to life. But the thing that doesn't make sense to me about Shambling Mounds that really bothers me is that it has cold and fire resistance. That makes no sense. If you want to get rid of an invasive species, A, forest fire, B, frost. Like, why would it have resistance to that? Maybe they're thinking green wood, so it's, like, wetter or something. Like, the 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 cold resistance, a little bit more murky on that one, because especially, I would imagine the more water content you have in a plant, the more dangerous ice gets. You get a plant that crawls out of a swamp and you try to set it on fire as your knee-jerk reaction. I feel like that ain't going to fly. That's She's fair. Wet. I guess if you're doing different plants, though, you would have to adjust the resistances. The only, the only other reason there's my pet theory has been the Shambling Mound exists for one reason and one reason only. It is a Challenge 5 monster. It is meant to go up against a Challenge 5 party, which means the wizard just learned two spells. Fireball and Fireball lightning. and lightning bolt. Yeah. And some DM somewhere was like, no, you've gotten too big for your britches. I'm going to throw out just a giant tank of a monster. It's got a hundred and some odd hit points at uh, challenge five. And it will just eat everything the wizard does. It's just rude. You have to hack it apart and then burn it almost. Like that's kind of what you Shambling Mound is just a DM being rude to the wizard. <laughs> CR5, a fifth level party, it's that they're just coming into their power, right? They're they've they have their they're first just feet. getting they've nobody. got their bigger spells, probably a couple magic items. Like like they're kind of rolling into it now, and you throw a shambling mound at them, and it's a fantastic way to catch them off their guard. The only thing that bothers me about shambling mounds at like their real core is just the how of it. Like I said, like the idea that, oh, they get overfed by the nitrogen, by the lightning, that actually is really cool and I can get on board for it. But immediately implies a certain level of nativity. Shambling mounds are endemic, and if there is enough lightning, they get up. Which is weird, but also fantastic as a baseline. It's like, no, 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 we just have to like keep an eye out. We can't let too much lightning happen. Otherwise, you know, the shambling mounds consume our cities. <laughs> Get a lightning rod, yeah. <laughs> if they knew there were shambling mounds, if you live, you'd probably have lightning rods to try and draw the lightning away to protect from them. That's such a fantastic, like, really cool little Eberron thing, especially if it's something like, you know, we're eating these, they grow like kudzu, but they're not necessarily full-blown shambling mound territory. And we just have this huge ring of lightning rods around a swamp 
just guarding it. I love it. Like the lightning pulls it away so they don't get too you big. You have a lightning farm. And then we go in, we farm the the uh, the shamblers, and we get them out. And if the mounds ever get up, we have a very bad day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and that gives something for a villain to sabotage and a reason for... I like that. I, There's a lot of things that could go wrong with that system, but I do like it. <laughs> so here's one of my pet peeves in world building. I hate it when people start world building and they're all like, well, well, that would immediately go horribly wrong, so we need to account for it. No, you don't. That's why you have players. Right. Oh, right. if we use a bunch of lightning rods up around, you know in this little halo around the swamp and that's what keeps the shambling mounds well we got to make sure those are constantly protected nothing ever goes wrong with those because if they ever go down you know the shambling mounds go up no those those lightning rods are only good if they're grounded which means you got one guy going around with a pair of bolt cutters just cutting the wire (laughs) and one day a storm hits and all the shambling mounds get up and now we have a session I would put them in my campaign is less like oh magic or lightning brought them to life for me they would be like protectors like a lot of the stories I like to tell is just dealing with my own climate anxiety and I feel like shambling mounds are the perfect protectors of like land that's been too disturbed like poison ivy for instance if you dig up a lot poison ivy is one of the first to return to that dirt to get it stable again and keep humans away from messing with it again which I think is kind of cool like, I, I would love a shambling mound to be like, no, fuck off. This is ours now. If you take too much from the land, you're at risk. Like, if you don't keep a balance, a shambling mound can crop up and fix that balance. And they are unaligned, so. I could be wrong. I think the shambling mound might be the most intelligent unaligned creature in the monster manual. The general rule of thumb is once it hits intelligence three, it's sapient and then it gets an alignment. Shambling Mount has an intelligence of five. It's as smart as like two and a half dogs. (laughs) (laughs) What a measure. (laughs) How smart are you? Oh, I'm like four dogs. (laughs) I'm at least four dogs smart. In a trench coat. (laughs) Rob, you know that that five dogs is human average, right? Yeah, 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 I know, I know. Four dogs smart. I I put myself at four, yeah. I I did not know that. (laughs) You're at least a seven dog. I'm a more of a four dog guy. I know my, I know my brother. You go to college and you get your extra dog. (laughs) You get your extra dog. (laughs) I have a PhD. The D stands for dog. (laughs) The point is, shambling mounds are not human intelligence but they are well within sapience like they don't have a language or anything but they the fact that they're unaligned suddenly feels just a wee touch pointed they don't have a language but are you aware that plants have 20 senses over 20 senses no wasn't aware of the sense count but i was aware they had a couple ways to communicate yes so we have five They have over 20 senses. They are smarter than us in every aspect. Like it has a bigger quest in mind, you know, like it's the keeper of the balance of life on Earth.
plants communicate all the time. There's, I, I, don't, I don't know a lot about this, but I know that there's a mushroom network that allows yeah. all the plants to talk to each other. Uh-huh, there's a fungal network. I was just thinking of how cool that would be to introduce um, myconids. Myconids and shambling mounds would totally be buddies. This is where we get into, like, we would have to have a philosopher on. There's a much larger conversation to be had about the nature of intelligence and what constitutes intelligence. I think plants in general are huge hubs of processing. Like there is a huge amount of information, and that's the thing you're talking about, right? When you have that chem that chemical network, it is effectively a massive computer. That is the thing where I draw a bit of a line is like, the Shambling Mound is unintelligent by the metrics we use to measure human intelligence but it is a giant spectrometer. It is taking constant readings. It is figuring out levels. It's doing nitrogen fixation. It's putting everything back right and doing things that it would take 17 wizards in a concerted effort to figure out how to start doing, but it can't spell yet. Yet, I like the yet, the ominous yet. <laughs> it was just a bush and then it got hit by lightning and now it's walking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ruling anything out. What else could happen? Yeah. How big could it get? How powerful? How much lightning could you pump into it? How smart could it get? I mean, there's a lot of questions about the Shambling Mound. You got one wizard with a whole lot of spell slots. Could you ride it like a mount? Could you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Without being consumed? Could it be friendly? Could you make it more right. shaped yeah. like a person? Could it be your boyfriend? <laughs> All of these very important, very reasonable questions. That your players will ask, by the yeah, way. Yeah, they will. <laughs> but can I date it? No, Jim, you can't. <laughs> you can try. You can, yeah, right? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> hey, Jim, have you heard the word engulf before? I'll let my players try anything they want to try. If they want to go, let them go. You want to date a shambling mound? Sure, why not? It's not going to go well, but maybe. I mean, look. I might allow it. If there's the slightest chance of happening, you can always, like, say a one out of a hundred. And once in a while, they'll hit, they'll hit that. And it'll be a big, huge thing. And they'll just explode. Like, okay, well, that makes sense. You got the one out of a hundred. This one shambling mound is different than all the others. Sure. Just this one. There's just no way Dylan would allow it. I wouldn't. I can, <laughs> I can totally no. see it. You're like, no, fuck I, <laughs> I think that your your base thesis is valid. I think there's a certain level of like, if your players are that invested in it and they want something like the shambling mound boyfriend, they want the sapient shambling mound, you can set up a situation where that would come about and it makes a lot of sense and you can make that narratively pay off. The idea of sitting there and letting them roll a D100 and being like, if this comes up double lot, <laughs> it'll learn to talk on the spot. I hate that a little bit. Fair. It's, mm. it's all what your table likes. It's what you do. Those are the moments that I'm like, no, no. If you, you know, you got the wizard sitting there and going like, hold on, I've got the displacer beast. I should be able to make like a cloak of displacement. I should be able to figure mm. it out. Yeah, you're right. When you get back to town and you have some downtime and you learn a little bit of tanning and you and like tools. And you have tools, yeah. you can do that. I am not going to say that you can make an arcana check and if you roll a 20, you get a magic coat. Speaking of tools, I'm like deeply on plant TikTok. 
And they've created this thing that like, have you seen this where they like hook it up to plants and the plant will make music. And like one guy like rigged it to start making like sounds and the plants like make like, ow, ow. sounds. That's a bad, (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) Mushrooms sing in a really interesting way. Like, like, like all the sounds were so beautiful. And then they, they added some kind of like, you know, space echo and they, you know, they tweaked it a bit, but it does sound amazing. This gives me an opportunity to play my favorite game, Ruin Something for a ROM. It's kind of like when people say, like, oh, we're going to listen to the sound of the solar system. It's like that. It isn't a sound wave. It's a random wave that you've now pitched up or down to hit human hearing. Like, the mushrooms aren't singing. There is an electrical impulse that has a waveform to it that can be... You can use that to generate an acoustic sound. Oh, sure. It it has no real We're translating into an acoustic sound. It's not actually saying, no, I know. I know, Dylan. I know. But but, but there's a romantic way to look at it. Where's your whimsy? Where's your sense of whimsy? I killed it. (laughs) And it deserved to die. So thinking back to like different kinds of shambling mounds, how cool would it be? Like you could change their abilities too, depending on what plant it is, like not just their alignment. Like how cool would it be to have a poison ivy shambling mound that makes poison damage and like your players are covered in rashes because they tried to grapple with this poison ivy shambling mound. And they wouldn't expect it. Like maybe the first time it wasn't poison ivy. Now they face another shambling mound. They go in the same way. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's different. And you could even describe it as like it's got different plants in it. And they might just go in any way and hack it up because they don't expect anything. It's a great way to keep your players on their toes and to be able to use a monster repeatedly without it feeling like a repeat. Yeah. And there's so many different kinds of vining invasives. Is it eucalyptus that's highly flammable? So, like, if you have a shambling mound that's suddenly filled with this oil, and then just during a fight, it has certain things it does where, oh, it ruptured, and now a spark happens, and suddenly it deals fire damage in a burst around it. Wizard casts burning hands, and suddenly the entire party is taking damage because it blasts back out. It's another one of those monsters that I wouldn't necessarily bother statting 16 different shambling mounds. You just throw a table off to the side and you're like, oh, this one has the flammable oil in it. This one has the uh, the poison ivy touch. If it's an evergreen one, it's immune to cold. Like there's different ways you could Ooh, do it, right? That. I would have just made it pointy. Some can climb trees, some can't. Right, some would have a climb speed. The ivy certainly would have a climb speed. It also adds a nice little dimension to any campaign where the the bad guy is nominally unintelligent, but going about the parameters for the place it belongs. It's not necessarily that the invasive shambling mounds are evil or particularly bad. It's just... If you're, I would disagree with that. <laughs> if you took a cactus and slapped it in the middle of the Arctic and the cactus had the ability to just terraform, is the cactus being bad by changing its environment to make itself survive? Or by having like natural consequences? If it's killing things that live there. If it's not making that as an active choice though, if this is a plant thing, is it evil? Or is the person who was mm. mindless, thoughtless, and was just like, ah, it'll look good over here. Where's our philosopher? 
philosopher. <laughs> the guy who buys a baby alligator, then it gets too big and he dumps it in the pond. That's not the alligator's yeah. fault. The That's alligator 100% the guy's fault. Yeah. So it, it, it's whoever brings these. But now if it's a shambling mound and it has choices, quote unquote, to make. Which comes to the question of plant intelligence. Does it have choices or is it a very good computer? does lead into the question is a shambling mound a monster yeah i mean i feel like at the start of this i was like yeah it's a monster now i'm like oh gosh i don't i don't know i'm gonna think about this for a few weeks and i'll get back to you <laughs> i'm gonna go consult with my resident philosopher and talk about intelligence for a while it's not a monster it's just like animal nature but plant nature it's it's flora nature <laughs> And the way you described it, it's more a hero. It's more a guardian and a protector. Yeah, exactly. Plants are heroes, everyone. <laughs> or at the very least, a natural consequence of the land and the damage of it. So if it's not a hero, at least it's a... But, but it's not a monster. It's not rising up and seeking vengeance. It's just a natural part of the system. My version or Frankie's version, either or, the, the idea of something, even if it's invasive, that is just going through all the routines of nitrogen fixation and, you know, adjusting climate and reestablishing so that things go back. At which point, not evil, just in the wrong spot and not sufficiently intelligent to make the choice to do it here or there. You just do it where you are. Or it is something cancerous. It's something that is doing the right thing to the wrong extent because it's broken. Your, your cancer is not you caught a disease, it's your cells broke and are dividing uncontrollably. You, you're just running wrong. It's not trying to destroy you, it's not even trying to accomplish anything, it's just running the instructions ad nauseum. Or invasives were just planted there, like they might be killing everything around them, but it wasn't their choice to be planted there. Again, man's the real enemy here, that's what we get down to. <laughs> Man yes, is evil. Yeah, exactly. And most other things are not. Yeah. Frankie, how would you change shambling mounds in fifth edition? Hmm. I think I would change them to be more versatile. I mean, I'm already going to homebrew it so that it's, like we said, a table. Um, I don't love the cold resistance, fire resistance. Like like the way you explained it as a swamp creature, that does make sense. But I don't want them to just be in swamps. I mean, like, I feel like these kind of creatures could be literally anywhere. You could have, I mean, you have spreading plants and even deserts, you know? Oh, a tumbleweed shambling mound. <gasps> a tumbleweed shambling mound would be amazing.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Let's say 30 years ago, a wizard died. There was a ritual they were trying to conduct. It's not entirely clear what was happening. They were doing what wizards always do, quite frankly. They were drawing on power, whether they were trying to bring it to them, trying to call something here, or trying to like amass energy. Not enough was left for anyone to be certain what the goal was power coursed through the stones of their tower until it could not be contained and the foundations shattered and the tower collapsed it was just a rain of architecture and raw energy Within about five or six years, things were going back pretty stably. What had not been accounted for was what was embedded. Not all the sigils shut down. Power continued to course and energy was fed wherever it would go. Frankie, where did you grow? So out of the ruins of this shattered building, the vines started to take over and slide their way across the cobbled stones, some broken apart and some still together, and over some of it, broken off a little bit from the tower, but not completely intact. As these vines started to grow, they started to engulf this sigil in one of the stones and as the taproot started to grow underneath the stone of this vining plant it started to gain power and sentience over years the taproot finally sealed a gap and re-cemented the symbol It was the simplest little thing, a two-inch little reach across the stone. And that line was just the right color, just the right shape. 
things started to flow again. Twenty odd years later. Around Grenlin Greenflow is a furblock, a furblock paladin who follows the goddess Shantea. And Grenlin knows this area well. Did not this particular force, this will be new to her, but for the most point, she knows these lands well. And she is acting as a guide and protector at this moment. She makes many journeys into the wilderness as a paladin of Shantea to perhaps tame it a little, make it more a garden and less an overgrown weed. She's got this big ass club and she's got just a huge shock of red hair, just this tangle of red hair. You're traveling with a, a small dwarven cleric. Younger, something like 50, 60 years old. And a berserker. An elf. They have names, I suppose. <laughs> a Gimelis and Legly. <laughs> Ranaril is the elf, and you can just go by Ren. And the dwarf, uh, fucking dwarf names. I hate dwarf names so much. Clang smash drink stone. <laughs> Barrel face drink bottom. <laughs> right. Axe beard, anger shove. <laughs> Glad we're all having a great time. Stone rock boulder pebble. It's Eldrick. Eldrick and Renneril. Renneril. Ren-er-al. Okay, gotcha. You've been traveling together for a while. You don't come out here, like, in this direction. Ever. Nobody does. There was an event there. The bards like to call it a cataclysm, but bards like to call anything past a small barn fire a cataclysm. (laughs) They're very dramatic. Makes for a better song. Eldrick remembers the wizard's tower exploding. But is immediately, the entire trip has been talking about how that's just what wizards do. <laughs> Ren, someone needs to be brought out here as sort of an added muscle. You know, there is always someone who has to hold things back, but there is no guarantee that the problem is going to come from only one direction. That's Ren's whole role in this. So we're really here for the dwarf, I imagine, then, whatever motivations they have. Well, really, it's just Eldrick is, how to phrase this, uh, EPA, basically. Right. Uh, Whatever discharge occurred when this ritual went off, someone needs to basically clear that it is not actively unsafe to go here and since from town you can no longer you know detect magic pick up the aura we can at least go close enough to check now yeah we're close enough to a major city where they actually send out a survey team after something like this happens to make sure nothing bad is growing this is actually kind of responsible of them we're doing a responsible thing okay Ren has been part of this organization since its founding and basically just keeps going out and just keeps like 
scraping these places clean, just making sure that like it's taking care of dragons. Ren has told you stories about like her first d- demonic incursion, the first time that she had to talk down one of the sorcerers from making a deal with a devil. And she still talks about how like, and you know what? We all came back alive. He was grateful, even though I had to take the hand. And Gredlin's all, I once saw a very large bird and just continues <laughs> on walking. That was the point where Ren and Eldrick have been working separate jobs for a very long time. The first time they really bonded was that sorcerer story where they're walking and she's talking about how, you know, it's going to shake on it. It was reaching out. It was the only thing I could do. And Eldrick is just sitting there on sorcerers. They're worse than wizards sometimes. Like... <laughs> Wizards will explode, but at least they just blow themselves up. Sorcerers still open <laughs> doors. I want you to tell me, what's the first thing you notice that really sort of stops this from being, we walked into the woods, we checked the rubble, and it was rocks? What was the point where you realized this was a mission? Let me do a nature roll, and I'll tell you depending on my result. I hope you roll really low, and the answer is I never notice. I got a 14. So I would say they go a little deep in. Like, they're kind of off the beaten path now. They're pushing through some undergrowth. There's an occasional hack to get past somewhere. And she pauses, and she's looking at these leaves. And they're green, they're lush, they're vibrant, but there's just a little bit of blue in the veins that doesn't seem right. Maybe she hasn't seen this plant but that feels off. You see Grenlin kneel down next to it, gently place the leaf between both hands so that her fingers meet up on either side of it. And then she just says a small prayer to Shantea and closes her eyes and listens. It's never in words when you speak to plants. You get the feeling of acknowledgement it is pleasant, something that would class closer to a greeting than just like a curt nod, but it's still hesitant. And I ask it. Has anything happened to you? Has anything changed you? It is uncertain. Uh, keep in mind that we're talking 25, 30 years ago that this tower went down. Right. It's so gradual. And it it's gradual and it's also so far back like the bit that would have been memorable was an adult human ago so if that question is confusing I will then ask are you well do you feel well it thrives then the last thing I would do is detect magic it's magic and then I would like you know fan out like like from there now I'm just sweeping Is everything magic? Everything is lightly magic. Okay. You're getting ambient power. It isn't classed into the... It's not a school of magic. You're not detecting necromancy. You're not detecting evocation. You're detecting power. Which might suggest anything really it could just be like a slightly magical forest it could so it doesn't tell me a lot okay it could be a it could be a forest where a wizard tower exploded (laughs) 
which would line up with the report you were given before you left. <laughs> I think that's what she would think. Like this was, this is where the infestation or the contamination of magic begins. So I would turn to the others and say, we must be getting close. So there's a certain point where basically the woods start to give way to swamp. It starts to get a little darker and you see the fireflies come out and then you see the fireflies give way to the will-o'-wisps. When they come out, Eldrick starts complaining about will-o'-wisps. They are as bad as wizards, but not as bad as the sorcerer. It's <laughs> what you arrive at. There's just been, this entire trip has been building a grand ranking of the magic things that piss off Eldrick. <laughs> the hierarchy. Just one grumpy bastard. <laughs> Perception rule. All right. If you have proficiency in both this and nature, I'll give you advantage. I do have both, so I can uh, roll for that. Take advantage on that one. <laughs> I rolled a four and a five. Oh. <laughs> so my perception is nine. You get in and it's getting dark. The fireflies, then the then the will-o'-the-wisps. Long list of things that uh, Eldrick doesn't like. Ren has occasionally been contributing her stories when directly and immediately appropriate. Or like when it's like into a back and forth. But otherwise it's mostly giving you the... Mm, Nothing worth cutting yet. Frankie, in general, how much do you travel? A foot a day. <laughs> it's just been slowly spreading out. And like the, the grander mass, of course, there's some transit to it. But like mostly you just kind of shamble drift. Yeah. Frankie, I want you to roll a d20. Aram, I want you to say a number between 1 and 20. 13. Not 1. <laughs> Out in the distance, you start to see brighter little zaps as the will-o'-the-wisps start getting a bat that flew too close to it. And it's basically like watching a bug zapper, except proportional to a bat. And shy of that occasional little sizzling noise, the night gets quiet. And I want to know, what do you do? Do you set up camp? Are you going to be hunting around? Yeah, we definitely set up a campsite. We would look, um, I think she would look for a little bit of higher ground and a clearing. There are two ways that you're going to get higher ground here. You can get onto a piece of masonry. This was a, let's say... 60-foot tower that collapsed. So there are some decent-sized hunks just around. Or there's the hammock option. I think she'd definitely go for the hammock option. I'm betting my dwarven friend is going to want to sleep on the rock. Your dwarven friend has been working these sorts of jobs for long enough that it's like, no, 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 no. Stones are porous. Stones soak in. You don't sleep on anything you brought in. Don't get me wrong. Stone is much better than wood. Sleeping on wood, it's awful. I would rather talk to a wizard than sleep on wood. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily like spend time around a wizard. Again, sure. the explosion thing. Maybe but, give directions badly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll give him directions. I would definitely set up a large hammock. 
for my giant fur, for my eight foot tall fur, fur blog. Ren has not even really a, a hammock, more just like they roll out sort of a wooden panel, almost like a uh, like a rope ladder with a couple like struts to kind of keep it level. They want something hard and flat. Once they get that set up and it's like directly just sleeping in a tree, she comes down and starts giving Eldrick a little bit of a hand because he has hammered up his hammock three or four times. And each time when it starts to sag, he really... Gonna get swamp ass. <laughs> and then we'll do watch, of course. I'll take first watch. I want you to give me an investigation roll. All right. I will also insert that shambling mounds have a plus two to stealth. So. Yes, they do. Would you like to roll a stealth? Because eventually you're going to start getting that feeling, that sort of networked plant sense when, you know, a peg is driven into a tree. Investigation. 12. I got a 21. Now you can give me the perception because the investigation is for something slightly different. The perception is... 13 plus 4 is 17. You see nothing. It's a quiet night. Is it warm or cold where we are right now? Frankie, what's your what's your environment? I think that it's like... Southern summer swampy late July, you know. <laughs> no reason for a campfire, right? Gotcha. Absolutely nothing that you've seen since you've gotten like close, since you started seeing the bits of masonry. Lands. The things that you see, the things flying through here, like when you noticed bats way out around the edges. They roam. Yeah, bats have a territory, but it's miles. Stuff like mosquitoes that, like, would live here and then only go near where it, it doesn't, it isn't here. Absolutely nothing touches ground here. That's concerning, especially as I am currently standing on said ground. All right, so I think a little chill the fur on the back of her neck might rise just a little bit, and she would nod and continue her watch. So tell me, Frankie, you're, you're moving sneaky. I, I assume you're actually trying to, like, get in there and take a look at what they're up to, or tell me what your goals are. Yeah, something feels off. Like, this is my territory, you know? Like, I know all of the trees, all of the dirt I've roamed around this area for 20 plus years and it just you know I get this feeling of like invader and so I'm trying to roam over there to to see what it is and to see if potentially it should be destroyed you rolled very very well and I rolled perception for everybody over the course of the night and it does not matter who is on watch Eldrick refuses to get down off the hammock because then he'd have to get back into the hammock. <laughs> and Ren just the entire time is watching for threats. But threats means meat, usually. He's looking for big animals. That's what he's focused on. Yeah. Things that are moving quickly. Predators, really. Growing so fast, like kudzu, you can hear it, but it would sound like plants in a forest. 
so it wouldn't seem out of place. If I heard wood in a forest, it would not make me go, there's wood in a forest. (laughs) I would just accept it, yeah. Be on your guard, I heard wood. I feel like echoing throughout the night too, you would hear maybe a tree collapse at some point, just that like, like far off in the distance. Wouldn't think anything of it. We're in a swamp. Trees probably die and fall over all the time. So what you see is three people. They have set up a small camp. They haven't started a fire, but they have pounded some smaller, like, pegs into some trees just to give purchase to the uh, to the ropes when they're hanging up hammocks, things like that. And they're just staying out of the water. For now, they just seem to be sitting. There's always one that's not hibernating. It's sitting and watching. Uh, one of them is, is tall, slender, She watches like a bird. Doesn't move much. One of them moves constantly, but it's sudden. It's fast movements. Thuggish, slamming hands around. Shifting on its little tarp. And mostly it seems annoyed to be here. And then there's Aram. The big one. It's just a little bit more thoughtful and mostly seems, it seems like prey. It's watching for something to come out of the woods. It seems not afraid, not actively scared, but like it knows that predators could be anywhere. So I feel like I've been traveling mostly like through the trees, kind of. Like maybe some of my viney limbs are trailing around along the ground, but mostly I've been creeping along through the canopy of trees. And as I come upon these things hanging in the trees, I start to vine around and kind of like, like, (laughs) my idea immediately was like anaconda style, like wrap around, you know? Who would be the highest hammock right now, Dylan? Who, yeah. Who's the first one you. she'd run into? Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Because specifically, Ren is not sleeping on a hammock. Ren has a tiny platform that he, that she's set up. Right. And the other dwarf's hammock is just high enough not to touch the ground. He wants to be able to, like, roll out and, like, get back in if he has to, but also... <laughs> Yeah, and I'm tall, so mine's probably like 10, 12, maybe even 15 feet up, so I, so I can get a little bit of a breeze, be a little higher up. Yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. So what I want from you is a perception roll. I feel like I'm also moving, like, if you've ever seen a bean sprout or, like, a squash tendril, how they kind of, like, circle, and then once they find something, they, like, grip on and start to twine. Yeah. Watching plants in fast motion is the most amazing thing. Yeah, that's me. That's how I move. I'm a plant in fast motion. (laughs) 
rolling perception. Thank you. 17 plus 4 is 21. What you notice is as you're laying there, as you're kind of like drifting off, every now and then, you like you can't get good sleep when you travel with Eldrick because something is unsatisfactory at all Plus times. He, he snores, snores, that's what I was like going to say. Like a freight train. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's like a dwarf characteristic. Honestly, like <laughs> not that bad in town. It's that he refuses to sleep without the breastplate. Uh, right. right. Like, Just lays heavy. Yeah, totally. It's his weighted blanket. Yeah. <laughs> he feels yeah. better about it. <laughs> the thing you catch is the tension in the hammock. She'd pondered for a second and then sit up, and it's not like a thread or anything, so she just looked to see what happened. Did she get it twined up? Did it flip over and she didn't realize it? Did it did, did it catch on a root? Like, what's going on here? It's a little weird because it looks like it got wrapped around a branch. But oh. The only way that could have happened, because it's, like, actually fully wrapped around it, the only way that's possible would have been if you weren't on the hammock and wrapped it around that branch. But the only other way that that could happen is if the branch reached out and coiled around and seized your hammock. And that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. So I think what she would do is cast light. And I would bring the light close to this, whatever this is. Give me a nature check. Okay, then that is going to be a total of 13. Frankie, tell me one thing that's off about your vines. What indicates that they are not natural or not normal without going fully into And it's a monster. The vines are thicker than normal, like than tendrils usually would be. And also they have the sheen to them as your light reflects off of it, kind of like an oily sort of that you haven't really seen before and feels really unnatural. The thing that it puts you in mind of is freshness like these think like you ever get a bad burn and then when it heals you can see there is a different quality to the skin like it's not that it's scarred it's that it's newer it's fresher it's that for plants yeah and it also probably has tiny little hairs on it don't know why that one is I was making up other shit that's probably some plant bullshit that I don't know about yeah. It's like the way that they grip onto stuff is little hairs. <laughs> if she saw a vine and it was interesting like the other vines and clearly it's magically infused, she would assume that might be what's going on here. So she'll, she's going to lean in and she's going to take her fingers and she's going to try and peel back the front of the vine to get a better look at it. How much resistance do you put up, Frankie? Um, A lot. <laughs> okay. Aram, how much effort are you willing to put into this? If the vine, if I feel the vine resisting. The vine says no. If I pull, it starts to move and all, and all of a sudden the vine fights back. Like I feel an active pull or push. I think she would immediately let go. As she grabs out and grabs me, I would pull back. And then when she lets go, like I would hold on tighter to the trunk of the tree. And like my, the mound of me, that was my quote unquote face, would probably like come around from the other side of the tree. So there's a lot of noise now and a lot of creaking and groaning, right? I mean, like, this is pretty evident. Okay, she leaps out of the hammock. 
Ren is just maybe like six, seven feet back. She's suddenly like just holding two hand axes and just, so there's a problem now. And Eldrick looks up, just looks up and goes, scared of the tree. And at this point, I am consuming the hammock because it's like in my trees and I hate it. And so I'm just like totally consumed over there. And where it was before, now there's just a canopy of vines. Sixteen. I got an eight. First up in the initiative order is Grelin. So you've just fallen back. About 15 feet up from you is this shape. It has what is very evidently a head, and it points it at you like a head. There are no eyes. There are no real strong features to it. It's just the impression of headitude. Right. It is staring down at you as just it's got one, again, very loosely speaking, hand planted on the tree where your hammock was anchored. And it's just spreading out over the hammock and just pulling it all in. It's snapped on the far side. It's not attached anymore. The thing's hand is eating your bed, which is a rude thing to do. Yes. The other one is just pinned on another tree clearly too far away where it shouldn't be able to plant its hand that far away and still gain leverage. When you say hand, am I interpreting these things as hands? Like, is that what I'm seeing? It lands and it plants in a way that, like, wraps around a little bit, like it is grabbing for purchase. Right. But it's made of plants. It is behaving like a hand. That's why you're calling it hand. Right. Moving too fast, clearly making choices. So I think... At this point, the big club comes off the back. This might be a creature. I'm not sure, but it's not aggressive yet. Like, yet yeah, it ate my bed, but hasn't really attacked us yet. That might just be a natural thing that's happening here, so she's not going to go on the <laughs> offensive yet. She's she's preparing an action for if that thing gets too close, and she'll swing at it. Ren watches you sort of take up position, so, should I kill it yet? Not yet. Not yet. Let's see what it does. Your call. That's her turn. Eldrick immediately starts to scramble back. Uh, we're going to give him a dexterity save. He rolls a nine. So, immediately, swamp ass. Just out of the hammock, scrambling away from this thing, trying to just keep his shit together. And then he hears, like, he's getting back because the hand comes down and it just drags in. Almost like, you know, it got caught in a fucking escalator. It's just pulling into the thing's leg. And then there's a snap at the far end as he's trying to, like, scramble back away from it as the thing comes unattached from the uh, back end of the tree and into the water on his ass. I think at this point, I would move on to the next thing that's out of place, which would be the dwarf's hammock, and I would slide down the tree and start to engulf that as well. Is there anything else you want to do on your turn, Frankie, or are you just cleaning? Eating hammocks. Tasty, tasty hammocks. (laughs) It's so interesting how we're both kind of doing the same thing. You're pulling away the infestation and what you see as natural. We're here to clear you out because we don't see you as natural. Listen, I've been here a lot longer. You've been here for five minutes. Get the fuck out. (laughs) Very valid. Eldrick 
uh, immediately scrambles to his feet, looks around and goes, are we sure we're not killing it yet? Do we got more hammocks for it? My answer would be, let me try one more thing. All right. And he gets 15, or no, he's a dwarf, so he just moves back in line with you because he's only got 10 feet of movement left. And he's going to cast Shield of Faith. Valfir, Grillin takes a step forward, holds the light above her head, and casts Speak with Plants. And this is a large plant. You may now speak with this plant. Hello. Invader. Wrong. I send this, like, overwhelming sense of, like, you don't belong here. Oh, so it's like high school. I'm going to try to send back the idea of we understand you think this place is yours perhaps we can find you a better one you know where your sort of animation comes from so you know where that sigil is you are not when you move around you're not directly tethered to it but it is like there is a link there you are part of this place I don't know if you think you can leave. Yeah, I would definitely send back the idea of mine. Okay, she would nod a little sadly. Yep, all right, take it out. No, all right, let's fight. This is mine. As a bonus action, I go invisible. Would your light still be on? I had to cast it, like, on my club so the light would also go out if I turned invisible because it would turn invisible with me. Yeah, so what it boils down to is shut up, your light is fine, as long as they're not both concentration effects. Uh, I don't believe light's a concentration effect. I do have blind sight. So you know where he is anyway. The invisibility doesn't matter, but it feels good. <laughs> but I think <laughs> I'm now safer. invisible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think with fear bogs, like, if you startle them, they just go invisible on reflex. It's just involuntary. Immediately, just across the little gap, there is a huge swing, and one hand axe kind of falls just short. And it's this big arcing, like, throw all of your body weight behind the second hand on a bonus action with the second hand axe, slams home. Ren gets one into one of the arms and just sort of swings there. You are going to take seven points of slashing damage, and I'm going to give Ren a strength check. Hangs there. fuck. And then Ren falls 15 feet. Rolls a 11 on dexterity, and so she's going to take five points of damage. And that is Ren's turn. Frankie. So, like, how close are they all to each other? They're, like... 10, 15 feet back. 10 feet, Firbolg. 15 feet, Dwarf. And the elf is, like, at the base of the tree because she just flung herself at you and sort of fell on her ass. Yeah, so then I would probably go for the elf because it would be closest to me and it just hurt me. And so I'm going to try, attempt to grapple it. The way your grapple works is if you hit with both slams, you automatically grapple, which then automatically triggers engulf. 
That doesn't mean you have to do it that way, but you can. Oh, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, let's do that. I would have... This one has a little bit more, like, sort of an instruction to its uh, yeah. mechanics. Comes the manual. With one quote-unquote arm, I'm going to reach out towards the creature that just hurt me as they're falling, and then the other one is going to reach towards where the light was and try to, like, slam down onto it. 11 plus... Plus seven to hit. So that's going to be a total of 18. 18. For the first one. And then for the second one, it's going to be 14. 14 does not hit me. But I did see a vine come directly for where I am. Yes, it was pointedly, like, at you. You can roll for damage against the elf. It's going to be 12 damage. I got some thick vines. <laughs> you pull yourself lower just to kind of get within reach, and it just comes slamming forward the other arm. You actually have to take a step back around. This whole vine just slams down right in front of me, and I barely get out of the way. Splattered with mud, swamp mud. Magic runoff swamp mud. Eldrick immediately freaks out a little bit. And he's going to throw a sacred flame out. DC 11 dexterity save from our shambling mount. Oh, I do not. I'm, I'm not. I'm a tree. I don't say I don't have dexterity. That's going to be a two. <laughs> That's all right, because magic apparently isn't his strong suit. You're going to take two points of uh, radiant damage. What god does Eldritch follow? Dagmarin Brightmantle, which is the god of uh, knowledge, scholarship, and innovation. Cool. That works. Though he still does hold a deep resentment of wizards. (laughs) Of course. Because, like, you can't be happy knowing things. You gotta fuck with it, huh? So that's a standard action. As a bonus action, he's going to cast Spiritual Weapon. 19 with this Spiritual uh, Spear. So you're going to take eight points of force damage. And this giant spear comes out, stabs into your general mass, and then pulls back, but it doesn't go all the way back. It just starts floating as if it is being held by a soldier. This has gotten too dangerous, and my job is to guide and protect these people. I've got to defend that elf, and if that elf has fallen on their ass, then she... And she has no other option. She charges forward with the club and takes a big swing. A big swing. I'm going to use my uh, great weapon master feat to take a minus five on this roll for plus ten damage. Natural 20. So I have this big-ass club with all these, like, metal kind of like nubs on it, right? It's one of those. And she just leaps in the air, comes down both hands over her head and slams it down for eight plus three, 11 points of damage. Same, 11 points of damage. Do you only get one attack a turn? I get another one. 
So I'm gonna take okay. one more. That one is, it's another natural 20. All right, I quit. I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that one is 11 plus three. Realm, on that first hit, did you include your plus 10 from the feet you just invoked? I didn't. So add 10 more to that. Thank you. Okay, that's why it felt too low. The first hit was pretty hefty, and then she, but it didn't take it down. Like you didn't let go of the tree. You didn't break apart, and she was shocked. So she came right back around with an upper cut, basically, and slammed into you again. So your AC is a 15, right? Correct. The Shambling Mound, not you. Yeah, also 15, uh, yeah. We have the same AC. Ren starts slashing away. She's going to deal you nine points of damage as one just kind of like... The first swing hits home, starts using that as leverage, as a point to sort of hold against to swing the second axe. The second swing does not land. Frankie, you have a, a grumpy elf, and then you have a big guy with a club who keeps taking swings. Big lady with a club. Just <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. And then there's a dwarf over there. Yeah, I'm definitely not going for the dwarf because whatever. I'll probably go for the elf. I'll like swing around and then bring like both of my viney arms down at the same time onto this elf. All right, give me two attack rolls, both at a plus seven. 19 and 19 again. (laughs) Those both hit. They do. So you're going to roll me in total. 48 plus 8 bludgeoning damage. 24 damage. Oh, yep. Kapow! It like shakes the trees as these both slam down onto it. And immediately, engulf goes off. Basically, the first hit slams the elf to the ground. The second one, the entire torso comes down on top of the thing. And that is the last thing you hear out of Ren as she's drawn within the shambling mound. Thank you for joining Kill Every Monster for part one of our deep dive into the Shambling Mound. Join us in two weeks for part two, or check out our Patreon for an early release. For more information about us, notes for each episode, and ways you can help support the show, head over to killeverymonster.com. If any of the ideas we've discussed on the show have sparked some of your own, tell us about it on Twitter at KEM Podcast. You'll find me at DJ Malenfant and Aram at Aram Vardian. For ad-free episodes, early releases, bonus episodes, print-ready maps, our new audio DMs notes, and my character sheets for each encounter, head over to patreon.com slash killeverymonster. You can also listen to ad-free episodes and bonus content by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts. Our intro theme and many of the sound effects you hear in the show were created by BattleBards. Check them out at battlebards.com. This episode was produced by Aram Vartian and Dylan Malenfant. I also did the editing. Our guest was Frankie Larson. You can find them on Twitter at Human Houseplant. 
And if you are anything like me and all of that information just fell right out of your head, you'll find everything you need at killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill Every Monster. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon Chazar. Great Lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen, in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.